Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, and welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is critically acclaimed and award-winning poet, Claudine Nash. Claudine, are you with me? I am. Hi, Michael. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, well, I am so glad that you're with me tonight. I enjoy your work, and I'm glad you've returned to the show. It makes me feel good. Oh, thank you. Well, I had such a wonderful time the last time I was on, so thank you so much for having me back. Yes. Well, what I'd like to do at this point is turn the show over to you. It's Claudine Nash, everybody. Okay. Um, well, you know, I think I'll, I'll get us started off with some poems from my book that was just released over the summer. Uh, Beginner's Guide to Loss in the Multiverse. This came out with from Blue Light Press. It won their uh, 2020 Blue Light Book Award. And it's a collection of poems that take place in the multiverse. So it's the same fictional love story that takes place across the multiverse. So each poem is a different universe and it's the same story, but maybe with a a little different outcome or in a different setting, just like the multiverse. Um, So I'll start, I'll get us started with our, with the title poem. So the title poem, beginner's guide to loss in the multiverse universe 415. I accept this challenge of surrendering all of you. Every notion of us that could exist in some other time or space, but recklessly allow myself two pieces of light. The one that burst from your eyes the day we watched the dust whirl and saw all our lives at once. Then later, those particles that slipped around you as you stepped into the distance. I tell you, never try to pocket a photon. Weeks afterwards, these memories split into 10,000 streams that flooded my sleep, spilling bands of hazel and loss into the night. Classic rookie mistake. Okay. All right. So in, in keeping with um, the poems in this, this section of the book, it's, it's each, again, the same, same story that takes place in different universes with slightly different settings. Um, so this one is called Since You Left, Universe 11,099. Today I walked in on the house robot whispering your favorite sonnet. This, after tracing your name in day-old oil all along the attic walls. I try to comfort her, though she would sooner see me swallowed by the moon. I lay my hand upon the crack in her back that she suffered the first time you took her ice skating, but she spits obscene strings of zeros at me as though I'm a pile of wasted silicon 
as though my heart isn't already twisted into a mournful jumble of spent circuits, as if I alone could have stopped you from running. And then the same story told in a slightly different universe since you left universe 11,100. The toothless thesaurosaur you used to feed keeps crying for your cold corn and sardine soup. I spent the morning in the side garden grinding insects, dicing scallions and bits of fresh fish. Yet still, he spits my sorry excuse of a stew into the dunes. I fear time is finding him growing thin and ornery. It's not my intent to make another suffer hunger, but I must admit, I love the way his wings make wind when he takes off bothered and empty-bellied. Tomorrow, I'll tuck your recipe book back under my mattress and bring him a basket of bread soaked in salt water instead. I thought you both knew I'm not much of a cook. Okay, and then I'll, uh, I'll read two others from this, this uh, section. This one's called Fingertips, Universe 11,197. Today, I'm thinking mostly of your hands, or rather the way I like to watch them when you were typing or tying knots or, or otherwise occupied and how a story seems to rise from your fingertips when you touch certain colors or cottons or the other types of soft fabrics that I tend to want to crawl under. Today, this story is a warm orange and smells something like marigolds. It twists and turns for a rocky bit, but overall is quite beautiful and has the type of cozy ending that you would want to wrap around yourself when trying to get to sleep on a cold planet or maybe just a plain old regular planet, but on a night like this, when the steps can't stop creaking. Okay, and I'll, I'll close this section out with a short one. This one's called, I Pass You an Empty Sky, and it takes place in universe 3,027,217. I just love when I pass you an empty sky and you spin it and hand me back a fistful of stars. Okay, so that's the end of that little section. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stop there for now. All unless right. you want me to keep going. I've got a question for you. <laughs> yes, I've got a, sure. I've got a question for you. Okay. As you think about your <laughs> your relationship with poetry and your work is phenomenal. Thank you. How has it changed over the years? Oh, um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think when I was I was much younger I um went more for the sound. I put sound over meaning. Um so I think if I were to read those early poems it would be pretty obscure, which um actually isn't my goal for poetry at the moment. You know, I, I'm also a psychologist, so I, I love to use 
poetry as a tool for healing and, and empowerment really. And, and um, so I write a lot about loss and, and uh, the liberation that comes when you release the past. So I, I think my, my work has become clearer, I think, um, but it's certainly been incredibly influenced by my work as a psychologist. I, I, it, the, the two professions for me are very entwined at the moment. Yeah. All right, all right. Very nice, very nice. When I listen to you read, when I listen to you read, I get so excited. Um, your poems are incredible to me, incredible to me. Please share another. Please share some more. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go. I'll, I'll read them. Um, okay. So the so the first section of the book were all. It was the same story told in these very different universes. So this is, I I just love the theory of the multiverse, and to me it, it um, the idea that you know that there could be all these parallel existences out there occurring simultaneously just it just sounded like such a romantic notion for me. So I love the idea mm-hmm. of. of looking at a relationship that could be unfolding in many different ways at the same time. So, so that first section was that they were all different universes in all different settings. The second section of the book um, takes place in the same Magnolia Grove, but each of the poems has a slightly different outcome. So the setting's the same, but the outcome's different. So this is um, uh, four shortish poems I'll read uh, that take place in that Magnolia Grove. So this one is called Magnolias, Universe 1071. Listen, I need to say just once in this lifetime that when I look at you, I see a landscape alive and soaked in magnolias where I find myself home in fields I have never and always known to which each and every turn, I return. Okay, so the the next one, Magnolia's Universe 1072. I look at you, and at once all the gaps and restless spaces in me settle into this landscape. I drift home wrapped in a blanket of Magnolia's. Magnolia's Universe 1073. I offer you an empty field soaked in cold and drained of color. You fill the bare and icy spaces with magnolias. And lastly, slightly different outcome, Magnolia's Universe 1074. You looked up, and deep beneath the rocks and stones and bones of you, I saw a field I know I've traveled, a magnificent landscape more alive than any orchard. I tried to slip under a blanket of magnolia blooms, but you turned your head towards the night. So that's the end of that section. All right. Very nice. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we are back from our brief break. It was just primarily a moment to just allow an opportunity to think and to listen and to take it all in. Please continue with your work. Okay. All right. So let's see. Um, Yeah, I'll read a couple of the fun ones. The book, you know, I've been reading the serious ones, but it was actually meant to be kind of entertaining and humorous. So this one is called How I Lost All Interest in Telekinesis. Universe 2,013,051. If I mastered the art of moving objects with my mind, I wouldn't waste time bending spoons or influencing the outcome of rolling dice. I wouldn't expend energy shifting knitting needles or inciting molecules of air to make wind. I'd outright refuse to raise room temperature by vibrating atoms. Although I concede summoning lost keys could come in handy every now and again. If I were a paranormal whiz, I'd rewrite you into the laws of physics. I'd lift you up the northbound throughway, mid-phoning, half-formed thought, unbitten pastry in hand, invoke you until you landed feet First, inches from my hauling eyes, your morning tea still steeping. Truth be told, I'm starting to think this telekinetic parapsychological phenomenon is a pseudoscientific myth. Because if I had any remote mental influence, with all my wishing and wanting and directed conscious intent, you should have popped in eons ago. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me see. find another um, lighter one. Um, okay. Well, you know, it's been my, my experience um, as a psychologist <laughs> that it's often t- easier for people to be angry than sad. <laughs> so this one's right. called Plastic, yeah, Plastic Endings, Universe 11,098. A friend let it slip that she later walked in on you playing with my micro-robots. This scrap of unexpected intelligence admittedly made me cry. A steel-eyed diminutive pair one-half inch in height, their invasion of your fingertips had launched the tail end of our false parting. Synapses charged with disquiet, I pitched their hand off without any particular elegance or aim, blurting some absurdity like, take these buggers with you, because I couldn't ask you to keep them in a sad and hallowed place. You needn't have been so scared. Okay, Um, and I think I'll read one more from this book. Before I move on, um, this one is called ah, Time Capsule, Universe 31,197. Consider that right now, somewhere beneath a sycamore, a trace of you is drifting from the cracks of an abandoned cigar box. As you sleep soundly clear across the eastern seaboard, a stranger 
where the rusted spade is reaching down to brush the earth that has been weighing upon its wooden lid these nights. Now, she lifts, lifts this muddy capsule. She peels back its seal ever so gingerly, and the universe reclaims the air that sits inside. This is how you come to awaken whole and weightless. How when you raise your eyes towards the morning sky, up floats a peace sign pendant, your first 45, an inkwell, a perfectly preserved set of words and beliefs, the self you buried, intact and free. Okay. I think I'll take a break there. (laughs) All right, then. You're very creative. You know this. I try. To think of multiverses. (laughs) (laughs) Think of multiverses. You're very creative. What does being creative mean to you? What does being creative mean to you? What does being creative mean to you? Uh, Well, you know, I, I love things that are a little quirky. And I love just thinking about something that, you know, is in our daily life every day in a new way that's unexpected. And I think that my favorite poetry as a reader is one that challenges us to think of a concept that we're so familiar with, but it just turns it a little bit, you know, or, um, and you have to think of it in this whole different way. So I, I love to play with, with language and images and, and metaphors, um, you know taking phrases quite literally and that type of thing. All right. Well, what's the best advice you've ever been given about being more creative? Ah, um, yeah, I mean, I I think just to have confidence in, in what I'm putting out there, you know, I, I've, um, I've been blessed with having so many supportive people, um, particularly with my writing. Um, you know, I, I, I've been so truly touched um, how many mentors, uh, teachers, friends, friends of friends have, have really like, taken the effort to reach out to me and, and encourage me to, to just to keep at it and just to keep writing and don't give up, um, even when I, I get frustrated. Um, so, so many times uh, all those wonderful people have, have believed in me more than I was believing in my writing in the beginning. So I, I'm, I'm just yes. very grateful for that. Oh, well, yeah. very nice. Will you please share another poem, another set of poems? Sure. Um, I will. I think I'm going to switch to my, my chat book. So I had two books that came out literally on the same weekend. Um, one hmm. was a Beginner's Guide to Lost in the Multiverse, which was which a which was a book that I worked on for about six years. I was working on that one on the side while I was doing other projects. But then I did have this chat book um, that was due to come out much earlier in the year, but because of the pandemic, it was a little delayed, and they ended up coming at the same time. So um, this is a, a short collection called Things for Which You Thirst, and it's a collection of poems about connection. You know, whether it be our interrelatedness, our connection to the natural world, our connections to ourselves, our emotions, you know, it was intended to help us cope with the division that we've all been experiencing the past few years. Um, So I will read, I'll I'll start by reading one that's very much about our interconnectedness. 
This one's called Sitting Zazen on the Downtown 4 Train. Wherever you are in your small corner, there's a train rolling through you carrying all the beings who have ever loved the dull colors of something or someone to life. And though the walls of your room may be worn and thick with neglect, if you stretch this moment so thin that the enemy in your head can't whisper, you may feel the cars of this train speed through all the empty stations you have ever known. So much so that when you glance at the strangers who pass through this dim and icy morning, the deepest tints and hues within you start to vibrate. You detect the secret sound the world makes when it speaks all its languages at once. Okay. Um, And then... um, I have another one in that same collection that's, that's also about our interrelatedness. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, the importance of compassion It's called healing the world. Step one, <laughs> little lofty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> treat, yeah. treat the world as though it is a lost stranger who wanders onto your porch, confused and wounded, hair full of leaves. Offer a space on the wicker love seat, perhaps a cup of freshly steeped tea. Wipe the thick streaks of dirt from her forehead and behold the self you have yet to meet. Let her mumble her forest of grievances, lend voice, to the troubles that are crumbling between her teeth. Soothe the pains that may one day be your own. Then pass your stranger a piece of hope woven from a patch of river reeds. Place your lips by her ear and whisper a nest of starlings, a clear and heartfelt stream. Um, let's see. I'll look for another one. All right. Um, I'll read this one. Uh, so I, I, actually, I'll start with this one. So the, the, the first one in the collection was actually inspired by um, last election, last, the last presidential election. My, my daughter was seven at the time, and was so desperate for Hillary Clinton to win because she really wanted a girl to be president. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. (laughs) So so this poem was inspired by the experience of having to wake her up the next morning. (laughs) Give her the cold heart truth. Oh, yeah. Um, So it's called My Daughter's Room, November 9th, 2016. Last night, while my daughter dreamt that the wind was brushing past her uncut skin as it streamed through all the shattered skylights. The country crept in and replastered the open ceiling. 
Okay, and uh, one that probably followed close in chronology. Um, I usually mm-hmm. prize myself on maintaining my composure, but this this poem is not based on one of those days. <laughs> so this one is called "Upon Losing My Filter." <laughs> I am sitting with a head full of fire. I didn't mean to fill your veins with ash or sear the air with lightning. I spat smoke. I raged for 997 consecutive seconds. I belched a rocket and singed the sky. I dripped a little lava. I spilled heat all over the asphalt. I tossed fumes through New Jersey. There is glass in my mouth, and I am tearing through the moment. I don't want to shred your skin or fill your heart with gravel. Today, I am the wasp's nest. I am a bear and an ice storm. I am snapping all the branches. The coyotes are too stunned to howl. Forget this heat, that ice, this knife-like fire. Forget these shards of sand. Turn an eye to this hot madness. Kindly ease me towards the rain. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and then uh, I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll end this one with uh, the flip it side of this one. This one's called All Doors Day. A little more hopeful. This might be the time to claim a season for doors. A week-long holiday to celebrate frames and keyholes. Decorate our homes with strands of copper hinges that fold and open 3,000 times over. Pay tribute to those four-sided phenomenon that swing wide to reveal once unseen paths to choice. Let us not exchange wrapped boxes, but doorknobs, crystal, alloy, bronze. On top of our wish list, year in and year out, print freedom. And instead of fleece slippers and faux leather wallets, amass options. Dole out assortments of prospects and possibilities. Then, on the eve of these festivities, strut the streets without indecision, bound through each one that blows open before us. Okay, I'll take a little break over there. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back. My name is Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Claudine Nash. The call-in number, if you'd like to speak to Claudine, is 646-787-1631. Claudine, question for you. Sure. 
right. <laughs> what are you trying to communicate with your art? You used the word art earlier on. What are you trying to communicate with your art? I I mean, again, I you know, I I really um love to use it as a pow- a tool for healing. Um so yes. you know, I I want um people to to feel hope. Um I want them to connect with that liberation of releasing the past and and tap into the feelings of loss that we've all experienced over the course of our lives and and the healing that can come, you know, from um, processing it and and you know releasing all the little things that we still hold on to that you know maybe we'd be better off letting go of. Yes, you know empathy is so important. Empathy in my mind is critical. Yeah. Do you think that someone could be a poet if they don't feel emotions very strongly? Uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, you know, I I. I always encourage people to write, you know, so I, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think uh, anyone could be a poet and anyone could write, you know, um, but un- unless you write about a lot of emotion, I just might not want to read it, you know, so okay. you know, I think you could be a really great, like, I, I think you could be a great descriptive poet, um, Mm-hmm. But you know, and, and if if just writing like pure description helps you clear your head, then go for it. Um, but again, like that's not the poetry I like to read. I, I really like to read poetry that moves me. Um, so it, that would be the difference between me like reading a poem in a collection versus devouring the whole collection in one sitting. You know, it's like how much emotion is in it. So, have you ever thought about writing under a pseudonym? I'm not sure who I wanted to ask that question, but I want to know. Oh, well, it's actually really funny you asked that question. <laughs> it's actually a pseudonym of sorts. <laughs> it's actually my middle name. Um, is it? Okay. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I... I I I started out, you know, wanting to be a writer, but then I I went into psychology and I didn't write for many many years. And it wasn't until my early 40s that I decided to really to to pick it up again. Um, you know, so I I thought, you know, like, well, wouldn't it be fun if I just published a poem or two? And I was trying to keep it very separate from my professional identity. Um, yes. You know, which is also quite silly because my poetry really is about psychology, but I. You know, I was concerned about, you know, like colleagues, whatever, reading it. So I, I decided, well, I'll, I'll publish under my middle name. So if, you know, you Google my real name, it won't come up. Um, but, you know, I didn't anticipate. <laughs> I, I just thought I would publish one or two poems. I really didn't anticipate it would, it would go as far as it did and that I would actually start doing a lot of in-person events where I would then introduce myself, you know, by my middle name, which I had never done my whole life. And, um, let me tell you, if you've never introduced yourself by another name, you have to do it. <laughs> it is so freeing. Oh, my gosh. I love being Claudine. <laughs> what, do you, what do you love oh about it? Oh, my gosh. What do you love about it? Yeah, so I, I actually... <laughs> 
I now like introduce myself to this to like people have nothing nothing to do with the arts, you know, like in a store. Right. Like, I'm, that's what I go by now. Like, so you know, so there are people who know me by my my first name, and and then there's a whole segment of the population who knows me just as Claudine, and and then there's people who don't know what to call me, but it's all good. You know, <laughs> you can call me Miss. <laughs> about connecting to our feelings and, and connecting to each other, um, the natural world is very important to me as well. I spend a lot of time in the mountains in upstate New York, um, mm-hmm. and it, it really, it's so therapeutic for me. It, it just helps me clear my head. So this one's called Why I Head North. Once, I had an enormous thought crammed into the 300 corners of my head. I breathed in the wind that moves between these mountains. Now I forget what I had meant to say. Okay. Um, and then, uh, where did it go? I wasn't, wasn't going to read this one, but I will. Okay. Okay. This one's called, I Bring My Problems to the Mountains. I bring my problems to the mountains because the mountains look down on them and make them seem so small. All right. And then another short one. This is my short poem segment called The Making of Memory. You are standing in a moment on my favorite piece of ground under an angle of morning sun I know will come to shift. I hold the light here. Okay. And then um, I'll read quickly uh, one that's not in this collection, but it, it was also uh, inspired by my, my time in the mountains. And I do believe my most um, favorite teacher ever, um, Mrs. Cheryl Rubin, might be listening in. Um, she was one of those very influential people in my life who it, it always encouraged me. Um, so I know she likes this poem, so I'm going to read this one. This one is called Silence is the New Black. This morning, I will dress myself neck to toe in silence, then step into this field to spin strands of still cattail into a quietly patterned cloth. I will wrap this fabric around my mind like a turban to swaddle those fears that snap branches. The lists that so sloppily spill noise on my synapses will long last be hushed. I will muffle the grievances that thunder under bone and scalp. Thread by thread, I will calm this tangle of chatter until I hear nothing but heartbeat. Then detect rising into that space where wind meets breath, my voice. Okay. Um, Would you do me a favor, Claudine? Sure. Would you read that one again? Anything. 
Yeah, absolutely. Please read that poem again. I, I really, that really touched me. Oh, sure. Thank you. Okay, it's Silence is the New Black. This morning, I will dress myself neck to toe in silence, then step into this field to spin strands of still cattail into a quietly patterned cloth. I will wrap this fabric around my mind like a turban to swaddle those fears that snap branches. The lists that so sloppily spill noise on my synapses will long last be hushed. I will muffle the grievances that thunder under bone and scalp. Thread by thread, I will calm this tangle of chatter until I hear nothing but heartbeat, then detect rising into that space where wind meets breath, my voice. Speaking of your voice, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice, if there is a relationship? Yeah, you know, I, I'd like to think that they're getting closer. I, okay. You know, my, my, my written voice has always been much stronger. Um, I mm-hmm. say concise and, and, and um, probably more effective. <laughs> you, know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was younger, I used to get very anxious speaking because I just didn't think I had anything important to say, and then I would get very anxious um, but but my my writing is is where I've always found my confidence. Um, so you know I I I I say it's akin to being a therapist. You know, like earlier in my career, I would come up with the best intervention, maybe you know, like a few days after the session. You know, and then I say my my <laughs> goal is always right that they would get closer. You know, like so like eventually at some point in my career, the perfect intervention will come out at the perfect moment. You know, like so it's, it's a bit uh-huh. like that. You know, I'm my I'm hoping my my I think my writing has helped my 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 speaking voice become more confident and self-assured. You know, All right, very nice. So join. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Please continue. I interrupted, so please continue. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, let's see. I'll read, I'll read two more from the chat, and then I'll, I can go to some older works. Um, okay. So this one, yeah, uh, let's see. This one, where is it? Um, I hope I'm not being too political for your audience, but... Uh, this one is called uh, "Speaking of Voice." I have to just, sorry, it was it was be called it was called um, this uh, before at real Donald Trump. I used to sing of promise. It actually earned me my first best of the net nomination from Collective Unrest. So, um, okay. One morning, when I needed to shake the silence in my bones. I slipped out before sunrise and found the song I used to sing sitting on the ground by the dog's favorite lamppost. I lifted it up and felt hope swirl through the moment, but by rush hour's end, its hum had thinned to a whisper. Later, I found notes strewn all over the field, listened to a chorus rise through each ice-encased blade of grass, as it melted away through the day. Its lyrics speak of peace and decency and the type of promise that pours through the first crack of sunlight 
Its melody inspires like coffee, but I can no longer do it justice. I used to sing every day, but lately my voice is so bound by outrage, I can hardly hold a tune. Okay. And then um, I will read... Uh, This is the last one in the chat. It's called, How You Will Come to Find Your Way. One October, a wind will rise and lift the parts that slipped from you, the times you traveled too far from yourself. They had spilled everywhere, a sliver here, an edge there, a spot of belief on the table. Once, You dropped a fistful of thought deep into the dirt and it wound itself all around the grass seed. It's no wonder the path pulls your mind and feet in 12 different directions and jogging has become such a bear. Now, during this storm, the world will whirl, but you will sink your toes into the trail and stop squirming. The wind will toss years of dreams and debris under your feet. So when you walk, your strides and steps will fit firmly together. Perhaps a smidge of rusty gift will blow by, or a speck of third grade will fly into your eye. And when you look down at the windswept ground, bit by bit, you will find your way. Okay. Should I take a little break there? Yes. All right. You're very prolific. You're very prolific. Does writing energize or (laughs) does writing energize or exhaust you? Oh uh, no, it it completely energizes me. Um, Yeah, I. I mean, writing centers me. For for me, it's it's this act of mindful meditation. It, it's really the only time when I can tune out the rest of the world and all the noise in my head and focus on nothing but the handful of words in front of me. Um, and once I finish a piece, I I I'm left with this um, sense of well-being. I I would swear that finishing a a piece releases endorphins just like exercise would, you know. Um, I definitely feel really out of sorts when I don't write. Right. Well, what do you view as being the most difficult part of the artistic process, the most difficult part? Um, For for me, the most, the most difficult part is, is the not writing part, (laughs) you know, um, when, yeah, when I'm going through a period when I'm not creating, it ju- it just feels so absolutely awful. You know, like I'm wasting my time or I'm not doing the thing that I'm meant to do. So I'll I'll take all the phases of the artistic process any day over wandering around my house feeling off centered. You know, like there's something that I'm, I'm the part of me that's missing. You know, that's what it feels like when I'm when I'm not writing. Um, you know, <laughs> the world has changed so much in terms of technology. How active are you on social media, and how do you think it affects the way that you write? Yeah, um, you know, I do take breaks from it now and again. 
Um, but I, I'm pretty active on Facebook. It's, it's where I met so many people in the writing community. Um, I'm, I'm trying to learn Instagram. Um, I ha- I've not wandered into the land of Twitter yet. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I don't think it affects the way I write so much, but it has allowed me to meet, you know, so many poets and writers, and that's led to some really wonderful collaborations. Um, you know, the, all the books that I edited, so I, I edited three books. Um, when okay. I'm not actively writing, I like to edit, so I'm, at least I'm, I'm just using a different part of my brain, but it, it's still yes. poetry writing, so I, I really do love editing um, a lot. Um, so, um, so I edited three books, and all those books, you know, they... they they all happened because I met someone on Facebook, you know, so last year uh, I edited an anthology of love poems with Justin Pickering from Transcendent Zero Press out in Houston, um, who, you know, I met on Facebook and it was this, um, this you know, it's like this lovely collection of a hundred poems from, from people all around the world writing about all different aspects of love. Um, mm. So we were trying to, to, um, heal the the all the division that we you know we were living through um you know and I, I also got a chance to edit a collection of poems about hope and resiliency written by people with mental illness which is my my big passion um with with mm-hmm. adam levon brown from madness news press out in oregon so and that was again strictly through facebook i don't think i don't think adam and i even sent each other an email it was also messenger you know like we did this whole book with <laughs> messenger and facebook yeah so um yeah so it's led to some really fun projects but i poetry wise i don't think it's impacted me that much all right all right all right please share some more of your work sure um i'll you know i think i'll um i'll go to some older poems i i might have read some of these the last time i was Mm -hmm. on um but i'm sure people won't remember (laughs) 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 okay so i'm going backwards in chronicity so now i'm going to the wild essential which um, was my book that came out in 2017. And that one was a collection of poems about connecting to our authentic self. Um, This one's called You Are a Mountain. A river rock sits in you. No, a rock face. No, a mountain, yes. A thick, unyielding mountain rises from a solid place within you. Its foothills spread into the corners where your doubts take root. Then dislodge. No, displace. No, tear. Yes, tear through the qualms and uncertainties that cloud you. Now you rub its grit between your fingers. Now you breathe this grassy terrain. And it covers. No, seals. No, reclaims the cracks and faults in your shaken ground. You are not a fragile matter. You are a height. No, an altitude, an elevation, something higher, a peak perhaps. Yes, an imposing, irrepressible peak. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, this next one is called A Beautiful Rain. 
I like for people to to know that sometimes things aren't as hopeless as they seem. You feel like a drought, yes, but the soil does not crack with your footsteps, nor do your bare feet kick up dust. Your breath does not draw water from the dirt or cause words to crumble between your teeth. There is earth in you, yes, but not sand, not rock, not desert, nothing sharp or arid. Your edges breathe and bend. You pulse in all the right places. There is a pool in your heart, deep and sustaining. Nothing has withered. No one will drown here or shrivel to bone. There is storm in your veins, yes, but not a dry gust. It is a beautiful rain, and somewhere beneath it, a field of wild grass and tulips is spinning itself to life. Okay. Um, I'll... Uh, I'll read, um, let's see, I'll read, I'll read one more from this, this section. Um, this one, this one was actually choreographed and performed by a dance company out in San Francisco a, com- a couple years ago, the Natika Angeli Poetic Dance Theater Company in San Francisco. So, uh, you know, feel free to, like, break out an interpretive dance while I read this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know I had that plan? I was <laughs> standing up. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> this one's called How to Come Full Circle in Five Steps, More or Less. <laughs> Return to the place where you started and feel hope rise again like heat. Though this spot seems so lost to you, slip back seamlessly into its loop. Note how its arc suits you, how it fits and fills the gaps and breaks, all the empty inches within you. Now summon the day the wind blew, the musts and shoulds, the can'ts and won'ts away from you. This is the moment that marks your re-beginning. Lean forward and draw on the past. Make sure to send yourself this message over and again on a rolled slip affixed to tired carrier pigeon or through the mint leaves that swirl through your cup. Spin 360 and soak in the stunning cuts of light that bound about this site. Throw open your eyes and find yourself in this open-aired space, changed the same, gloriously reclaimed. I can see that. Okay. (laughs) How many books have um, you written? How many books have you written? Yeah, so I've written... um, Two chapbooks and three full-length collections, and then I've edited three. Okay, well, in terms of your books, do you want each book to stand on its own, or are you trying to build a body of work with connections between each one? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I I tend to get an idea for a project, um, and then I 
you know, I make that entire collection about that theme or that project. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, again, you know, much of it is inspired by my my psychology background, but, you know, like each project's slightly different, you know, so like my first chap and my first full-length collection, Parts for Trillion, were very much about loss and the liberation of releasing the past and wild essentials about connecting to authentic self and, um, you know, the chap is about connections and and Beginner's Guide, I, I was writing throughout, and that, that one was just more fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, looking mm-hmm. at loss, but from a more, from a fun way, you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is All such right. a way <laughs> to look at loss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, please continue sharing your work. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll continue my, my journey backwards in time. I'll go all the way back all to the right. beginning. Um, so okay. this, this, this collection was Parts for Trillion. So this was my first full-length collection. And, again, this one was a, a much about loss and, 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 you know, that liberation of letting go of those parts of the past that we, we cling to, even though they don't serve us any longer. Yes. Um, so this one is called Certain Words. There are certain words. You would wait a lifetime to hear, like, you didn't ruin a thing, or the ground between us never turned to dust. Better still, look, here's a stack of old envelopes made out to you. And upon inspecting their odd postmarks and stamps, feel love leak from their folds or read scribbled between the lines of the onion skin sheets within the explanation you've always wanted interwoven with the phrase you were only briefly forgotten but mostly you would forfeit the scent of oncoming rain or abandon the sight of the swollen red moon just to be told please listen now there's something I'm ready to say. Okay. Um, all right. This one is called You Wasted Nothing. You wasted nothing. You breathed energy into the ozone, recycling atoms of spent oxygen into pockets of positively charged air. Micro-moments were deemed thrilling things, snow and sand, flecks of thin but wondrous matter. You savored day's existence, wiping clean near empty slates, prizing every piece of light that wrapped around each eyelash. You didn't spend an instant nursing anything but exuberance, spilling anything into the atmosphere that wasn't cut from love. Okay. Um, and then um, I have another short one in that collection, you know, which was, was really, I always, I always love using sea glass as a metaphor for how loss becomes less cutting over time. Oh, um, wow. So this one's you called sea glass. Yeah, okay. Thank you. So, so this one's called sea glass. At some point, you began the process of becoming sea glass. Hazel green shards of 
torn bottle nursed on algae and kelp, twisted to sleep by channels of lenient sand who draw your surface from memory, erasing the outline of your eyes in half speed until they no longer pull at my fingerprints. Cast into the sound in May, I will find you between muscles and in icy foam when I can run my finger down your side, pick you up in my ungloved hand. Okay. I don't know. Um, and then there, I have one more. I don't know if there's time. Okay. Um, yes, there is. Yes. Sure. Okay. Um, this one uh, was is called That True Voice and uh, appeared in, in the song is Marion Slar. Um, yes. That True Voice. It stirs upon waking, a hypnopompic hallucination of a song heard from a distance by muscles, not ears. Always, it's moving, scattering about one's body before its lyrics can be fully known. For that first hour each morning, before the household rises, before the tasks of rushing and receiving the hoarse sounds of the day's business, before it could be outsung by those cold opinions from without and within, it hums in hopeful resistance, this self that's trying not just to live, that true voice that dares to thrive. Your work is phenomenal. Thank you. Phenomenal. <laughs> as you think about Thank your you. body of work, as you think about your body of work, what piece of advice would you give to your readers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in keeping with um, a lot of the poems, uh, you know, that I, I've written about voice would be um, mm-hmm. – Regardless of how you do it, you know, whether it be through writing or speaking or the other types of art, um, let others hear your voice. You know, I think everyone has a story and a lived experience worthy of being told and sharing that voice not only leads to our own empowerment, but it helps us develop a better understanding of each other's experience, which is uh, pretty much what I think we need a lot of right now. No. Yes, I agree. No. Where can readers no. find your work? Where can readers find ah, your work? So, yeah, you know, so so my most of my books are are in some independent bookstores, but they are all, with the exception of the very first chapbook, they're all on Amazon. So uh, just uh, search under Claudine Nash, and and there they will pop up. <laughs> <It's> your middle <laughs> name, okay. <laughs> How can readers stay in touch with you? How can they stay in touch with yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I do have a website, and uh, you can email me through that website. It's ClaudineNashPoetry.com. But you know, like I mentioned, I you know I, I am on uh, Facebook. It's Cla- my my writing page is Claudine Nash Poetry, and I'm also on Instagram as Claudine Nash Poetry. I'm, I'm venturing into that world a little bit. 
Um, So I I would love to hear from people. All right. Fantastic. And the very last thing, what's Mm -hmm. next in the works for you? What's next for you? Yeah, you you know, I think um, I I think I I need to um, to really promote the two that just came out uh, in August. Uh, You know, because of the pandemic, I I haven't been able to get out there and really um, talk about them and and read much. So I really am grateful for this experience. I have a Chihuahua, which makes doing readings from home kind of challenging. So I'm learning. She's less barky at night, probably because she can't see as well outside. But during the day, it's like really hard to do Zoom stuff, you know? So, so, yeah, so I have to figure out a creative way to promote these books, Um, you know, sans Chihuahua. (laughs) Well, I'd like to thank you again for coming back. You're a phenomenal writer. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I, I don't say that to everyone. I don't say that to everyone. So I want you to know that. Thank uh, you. I enjoy listening to your work. You're incredibly talented, and I wish you nothing but the best. And good luck oh, with your thank current you. works. And thank you so much. And you're a phenomenal interviewer. It's, always, it's so much fun speaking with you. You know, I, I have such a great time. Well, so thank you. That, that's because we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic week. We will talk to you next time. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.